Welcome to the Nerdaplexy Comic Movie Review Show. In this series, we are going to break down and analyze every comic movie released between 1989's Batman all the way to 2008's Iron Man. We are going to track the trends, hype the hits, and dunk on the duds, all in search of the perfect convergence of comics and cinema. Joining me on this epic journey is my longtime friend and frequent co-conspirator, Sam. Mi casa nostra, su casa nostra. And joining us on our very first uh, threequel episode, we've got your favorite, the face of Dave. It's Dave. It's garbage, Councilman. So sit back, relax, and grab your exploding gas balls as we dive into <laughs> Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Don't forget to press your tights as well. Released December 26, 1993, directed by Eric Radomkowski, starring Kevin Conroy, Dana Delaney, Hark Bachner, and a ton of other voice acting heavyweights, including Mark Hamill, Abe Bogota, and Dick Miller. Dana Delaney, who uh, impressed so much in this role that she got the role of uh, Lois Lane in the Superman cartoon. Yep. And the talent director, Andrea Romano, was so good in the original Batman cartoon that she was basically the talent director for every WB cartoon afterward. Animaniacs. Yeah, she's who Andrea was named after. Also, Dana Delaney played in Tombstone opposite Val Kilmer, who would play Batman also someday. I think that's probably her, her most famous movie role, at least. She's been in a lot of TV since then. And yeah, does some work on voiceover, especially for DC. I think she's on all those CW justice shows and things like that, too. I've never gotten into the Arrowverse. I probably will one day, but that day's not today. No, they got me with one long-form sci-fi fantasy series, CW. I can't have two. It's just supernatural or die for me, that's all. <laughs> I can't... I- I can't get any more of those shows. They had Buffy for me, and I couldn't. After that, I was like, I can't do the CW anymore. I thought that was a Fox show. Angel was. So they were like, they weren't allowed to like interact after the shows separated for a few years. That's interesting. There you go. Fox ended up taking over CW, I'm pretty sure. Maybe I was seeing syndication. That's when they were allowed to uh, play together again. Hell of a show. Speaking of, be able to get in this on the mini, but uh, Warrior Monk, it's on Netflix right now. It's got real Buffy vibes. It looks real good. It's good. I have a tendency, I'll I'll go like 2X through all like the teenage drama shit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, I get the idea. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Please high kick a demon. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in. The crew that worked on this is also mostly the same crew that worked on the animated series because that's what this was intended to be. Initially, this was going to be a straight-to-video special, and the story I saw was that an executive was walking by as they were looking at the 3D Gotham City, and the guy said, is this from the new video? And they said, yeah, I'm like, wow, screw that, that looks great. We're going to put this baby in theaters. Everyone kind of said, well, that's cool, but what? So we have to add 30 minutes to this, I guess. Well, no, they were excited about it. It's just that the time crunch that began, and then you have to change the aspect ratio for theaters. And the art style is totally different, too. You get that influx of money, you can start doing things like adding more detail. It's a lot of fun because I am a huge animated series fan. So there's a lot of scenes that are like, okay, this is kind of the show. This is kind of the show. This is where they put a lot of money. They definitely wrote down, here's going to be a... Well, for lack of a better term, Sam, uh, sorry for stepping in territory. 
big money shots, as it were. The second this movie started, though, I had a huge, like, I'm a kid again feeling once the old WB logo came up. The Zeppelins. Hitting you with that Shirley Walker score, too. That's another. Mm, so good. You were talking about it, kind of that 2.5D animation style they used to have. Yeah. Where everything's still kind of hand-drawn, but a little bit computer-touched. It was really well done. This looks great. The places where they show that they were given the money and the time. Well, not the time, but they were given the money to really put in the work on a lot of things. It, it, it's worth This thing looks great. A couple of notable writers on here as well. Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, who is... A big animated series guy, he the inventor of Harley Quinn and all that, and uh, Martin Pasco. Before we get into the plot, though, had either of you guys seen this one before watching it for the pod? Yeah, I didn't get to see it in theaters, but we had it on VHS, and I actually think we must have lost it in sewer backup or something, but I, in the last couple years, saw the VHS at a thrift store and picked it up for nostalgia's sake, so I do. I still have the VHS of Mask of the Phantasm. And when I got HBO Max, I was like, I can't believe Mask of the Phantasm's on here, and I made my kids watch it with me, and then Sam was like, we're doing Mask of the Phantasm, do you want to be on that episode? And I was like, sure, I haven't seen it in so long, and then I was like, wait, I just watched it like three days before he asked, so I watched it again, I'm like, I love this movie, I didn't care, I watched it twice in like a week. Having grown up on that after-school Batman animated series. This was like a really cool movie for me. Actually, having having not seen it since I was much younger, though, I completely forgot the Joker was in it. I don't know what happened. When he pops up, that's a great moment. It's a pretty good reveal. We'll get into that. There's a couple of moments where I thought, wow, well, okay, maybe. All right. I had never seen this one. I was a huge fan of the animated series, but much like the rest of the country, when this movie came out, it totally missed me. I had no idea. The first I ever heard of it was I saw commercials for the VHS. And for whatever reason, I just never saw it. And when we started doing this project for the podcast, I was really excited to watch this for the podcast itself because I am a huge animated series fan and this is a big blind spot for me. For whatever reason, I thought that the plot of this involved the Grey Ghost Mm. when I was a kid. It has a similar look to that. I I feel like this was created after someone read that comic. It's like, well, what if the Grey Ghost was a girl? I hate to well actually you, but (laughs) in the convergence, it's based on Batman Year Two. The Reaper? Yeah, the Reaper from Batman Year Two. A lot of the old Batman comics are a blind spot for me until I was like an adult, really, other than the animated series. Like, I didn't read any of the comics until recently. The animated series is certainly my touch point. Most of my Batman knowledge comes from this show we get a great intro we were talking about you know flying through the city in the opening credits we zoom through the city and see through a skylight from batman's point of view a bunch of gangsters trying to get a counterfeiting ring started batman does some murdering there's a table like on that one dude's face and he steps on it i'm like wow that dude is his skull is crushed he's definitely not the same if he didn't die Commissioner Gordon insists Batman does not kill. So those guys made it. Uh, I don't know about he does, that. He does do grievous bodily harm to Yikes. many a man, but kill, no. They're not the same person that they were before they met Batman. Some may say a, a fate worse than death, but he does not kill them. No, I think the connection with the actual death that we do see in this scene is tied to the other death in the boardroom and Batman just so happens to get away with it because somebody else died and that's enough for Commissioner Gordon to say well there couldn't have been Batman because there was (laughs) there's two kills here yes one of the goons gets away and we get our first glimpse of the titular character although no one ever calls them this we're just assuming that this is the phantasm it has a mask and it's not Batman 
So that makes it the phantasm. These are all true statements. Not a logical leap. There's a little tussle in the parking garage, and the phantasm does their best to Toretto this mob boss into the across the street skyscraper, which I thought was a pretty great way to kill somebody. I think that mob boss could have gotten away if he didn't like try to turn around and go for the kill with his car. Hubris comes up often. Gets a lot of these guys. Commissioner Gordon's on his side, but Batman is taking the blame for this kill. It was Chucky Soul, which I think was great. Chucky Soul passed on. The councilman, Arthur Reeves, I believe was his name, is saying that Batman's a nuisance, very clearly killed this guy because he was seen at the scene. He's really good at that, at getting seen at the scene of crimes, heinous murders, immediately after the heinous murder takes place. Just like we saw in Batman Returns with that one lady that was held hostage. So it was being pinned on Batman. This was also pinned on Batman. But we do see that Alfred is watching this on the news and he turns to Bruce and reassures him and he says, Such rot, sir. Why, you're the very model of sanity. Oh, by the way, I've pressed your tights and put away your exploding gas balls. Thank you, Alfred. Very cheeky. Yeah, he's a cheeky Alfred, for sure. He roasts this man several times. But yeah, Batman is very good at getting caught because honestly, Batman, and by extension Bruce Wayne, is kind of a rube. We see that a lot here. He's kind of a doofus. The other quote I had was, Jiu-Jitsu is no joke. It takes years to master. <laughs> he says it so seriously. It is no like, joke. He's so socially awkward. And that, that comes from the 1989 Batman even. He doesn't know how to talk to people. Robin brings that out a lot in him as a foil, as well as a companion and father-son kind of thing. Speaking of Robin... Robin is in college at this time, evidently. That's the backstory to explain why he is nowhere to be found here. Was there like an ADR line there or something? No, it's just how the people who made the movie, like the writers, explained away. Like, oh, he was in college. <laughs> yeah, it's legit, like not even not even brought up in the story. That kind of stuff, that, that never bothers me, especially in a Batman story or in the animated series. Robin always comes and goes, and that really plays into old way of watching shows when you just watch it if it was on, and then in repeats and things like that. So there'd be whole parts of a series that you would know about but had just missed that week for whatever reason. And in the same scene, there's another quote you like. I know. There's a chemical residue on Chucky Saul's car. Bruce says, Some kind of dense, long-chain macromolecular polymer. Adaptogenic, of course. And then Alfred says, oh, of course. <clears throat> of course, yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, so good. This Alfred is great. I love this man. Yeah, and after that, Bruce, as he's wont to do, throws a little party at his place and pretty much immediately takes a drink in the face. That shirt is so scotch guarded. Not one stain on that shirt. When you're a billionaire playboy, you get your stuff sprayed down ahead of time. <laughs> There's a quote in this one also where they're talking like, Never say the M word in front of Bruce. It makes him nervous. What about the I word? The I word? Engagement. It's an E word. <laughs> well, th thank you for walking us through that one, Dave. Yes, very good. <laughs> she was dumb. <laughs> I know you watch this with your kids, but give us a little credit. Yeah. No. I'm a notoriously bad speller, but I did catch that one. <laughs> yeah. Then Arthur sees him getting a drink thrown on him, and he, for whatever reason, brings up Andrea. He knows Andrea's in town. I don't know why he's bringing it up, like, just to stick a knife in, I guess. And then he tells Arthur to stick a handkerchief in his butt. Thanks for the handkerchief, Arthur. <laughs> you know where you can stick it. <laughs> See? What a doofus comeback. Thanks for the handkerchief. You know you could stick it in your butt now. 
<laughs> That's a great moment. Like in Little Nemo, this is like a reverse save the cat moment where Little Nemo immediately, here's my best friend, and then he tortures him. And then Reeves set up like, oh, okay, I'm not going to feel bad when this guy eventually gets got by the phantasm or, as we see later, something a little bit worse. And him bringing up that old flame makes Bruce go into uh Yeah, for to look at a picture of his dead parents and then remember a time when he visited his parents' headstone and met Andrea Beaumont, which I thought was interesting because that means that the Wayne family, they have their headstone and they're just in a regular old public cemetery, which surprised me. I would have thought that'd be like on premises. He couldn't see Andrea because their headstone is massive. Yeah, it's a very large. It was way, way bigger than everybody else's, just to show you. They were wealthy. And Andrea is seemingly talking to someone, but really she's talking to her dead mom. And I, I wrote that this is a, a medium cute. Ooh. I had one for this. Hold on. Let me see if I can remember it. I hope it's better than mine. <laughs> no, it was. It had to do with cemetery. I had a good one. I do have another one later. Well, there could be a six feet cute later in the same cemetery. Although we did seven feet cute in uh, Rocketeer, so that that's kind of like double dipping. This is the first interaction, and she's talking to her mother. And they have it's a it's a fun like a semit cute. No, that's nothing. <laughs> um, they mausolite cute. <laughs> A mausolite cute, maybe. They have a fun little interaction here, and Andrea gets a great line. Meat crypt. Where um, Bruce says, oh, I thought uh, I thought you didn't care about learning anything about me. And she said, oh, I, I don't, but Mother was asking. And that, I thought that was a lot of fun. Setting up that she is not only Bruce's equal, but just smarter than him, and just more confident and better at being him than him. And it's great. She's a not socially awkward billionaire. Is she a billionaire? I think so. She's at least putting on airs. As an heir. As if she was, yes. So next up, we get a little, uh, speaking to what Sam was mentioning earlier, year one, year two kind of stuff, we get a little proto-Batman trial run on a robbery in progress. A young, unbranded Batman, he's beating ass. And <laughs> Batman's not without toys, even though he's not branded yet. He does carry a hammer with him. <laughs> he was not messing around. A ball-peen hammer. <laughs> a ball-peen hammer to smash a windshield <laughs> of all the things he could have used. Now, that part of the flashback I like, I'm not a big fan of flashbacks as a rule. I can't... I, <laughs> I, I was wondering if that was going to come up. I don't like them. I think this was too long, and they were overly dramatic. Almost all of them. Uh, no, they all had a purpose. I'm not saying they didn't have a purpose, but I think you could get that purpose out faster. You could do anything faster. And they should have. Faster? The whole movie's only an hour 15. Do you want to listen to me read a plot synopsis rather than watch a movie? Because that's faster. True, but... Faster isn't always better. I disagree, because... Maybe. The flashbacks are too much. Every single one of those flashbacks is made to look like things are going really well, and then at the end you see, uh-oh, this is one more thing that leads Bruce down his path to actually commit to this life of vigilantism. They get progressively worse. Because he was ready to give it up out of sequence here but i mean flashbacks are too so we're i think we're within our rights you know he's basically giving up on his promise to his parents just to be with andrea and then things keep going in such a way that even though an initial sign that he should be able to be happy and start a life 
he gets several other signs that Gotham needs him to be this other thing. So I think they all have their purpose and they're all they'll show him slowly, extremely slowly, one and a quarter hours, whole movie and gradually becoming somebody who has nothing and nobody to keep himself healthy for to care about. Before we move on from this particular flashback, great points there, Sam. But I do just want to mention, Bruce tells, first of all, he confronts the arm rubbers and tells them to all, like, lay down on their bellies. On your stomachs. (laughs) Which I thought was really good. Lay down on your tummies. Tummy time. And also, after he beats them, all the ones that he can see up, as an aside to himself, young Bruce goes, yes. I knew I could do it, which I thought was really, really embarrassing, but also quite endearing. So I did just want to bring that up. Again, I thought that was over the top. No, that's a great humanizing moment. This movie, and I think this is what a lot of people like about it, and it sets it apart from almost every other Batman movie, except maybe Batman Begins. But this movie is about Bruce Wayne. Right. That's fair. It's only tangentially about Batman. Only in the third act is it really about Batman. Yeah. Every other Batman movie is about the villain. And we're in this case, yeah, this is about not even Batman, but Bruce Wayne and how he got to here. So it's an interesting little character study for a lot of different characters. They're all very fleshed out and developed in a very short period of time. And Andrea is one of the best. Speaking of, she visits Bruce after his trial and interrupts his his workout. Bruce Wayne in this scene, young Bruce Wayne is like the biggest neck beardy dude I think there ever what was. Except he was just handsome and turbo rich. That makes everything a little bit easier, huh? He's out there showing Alfred his skills and Alfred's like, yeah, I mean, okay. Doing great, doing great, Bruce. When Andrea interrupts his working out and gives him a little flip, and I wanted to call this one a jujitsu. <laughs> Dig it. <laughs> it's a meat quando. <laughs> that's ter- that's, that's, that's so terrible. A taekwondo si do. Then Bruce does get to trip her, which I used to use as a move to try to get girls to like me. Didn't work as well. Mm-hmm. It's because you're not a billionaire. You do got to have the money and you have to look nice. He was in a gi. Yeah, true. Yeah, I think that should be points against. His moves are extremely lame, but they do work out, and then they do a little bit of working out, (laughs) and (laughs) we start the best rolling gag of the whole movie as Alfred walking in and going, whoops, don't mind me, and then leaving. It's very good. They do it like four times. Every time, it kills. Every time. It's a good bit each time. Next thing we see is the phantasm. Buzz Bronski visits old Chucky Saul in the cemetery. But why? Buzz Bronski visits Chucky Saul's headstone in the cemetery in the middle of the night with flowers he brings to call him a loser to immediately speak ill of the dead. Chucky, Chucky, you always were a loser. Why even go? Yeah, it seems crazy. It's like some real good fellas kind of stuff, though. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's it was. <laughs> I, I don't know. I gotta go to the thing. Give me that wreath. I gotta take the wreath up to the thing. I gotta go say say goodbye to Chucky Saul. Dude, his death is grisly. Buzz does get done dirty in the cemetery by the phantasm. That marble statue in an open grave—that is brutal. 
Yes, so Buzz gets chased into an open grave, and then the Phantasm pushes the statue onto him, making it his grave, which actually, in a way, is doing a favor for... Groundskeeper Willie. The Groundskeeper, or the uh, Undertaker. What are you talking about? Not only do they gotta haul that thing out of the grave, some poor guy's gotta hose that fucking thing down. Or... Just bury it. Hypothetically. <laughs> You just put a little bit of dirt on it and you're done. Nobody's Get looking for here. nobody's looking for Buzz Bronski. Everybody's looking for Buzz. That's true. Well, he's in the newspapers. Then remember in Batman 1989 whenever Jack Napier falls into the vat and they just pack it up. Yeah. So, this could be one of those scenarios where like, well, he's dead. Nothing to be done about that. I think Gotham's coroner might have just said squished. The- <laughs> not with Jim Gordon at the helm. The public works are not really on the up and up in Gotham. I'll remind you. <laughs> That's the reason why Batman is needed. And it's because Bruce Wayne don't pay any fucking taxes so he can <laughs> buy bat jets. Batman's not needed. He's the worst thing for Gotham City. He doesn't catch anyone. They all get away. No, he catches everyone, but then they put them all in the same asylum together. But he doesn't make anything better. He could have paid for real help or for at least a regular prison. I think if you really dig deep, you probably do have a lot of charities that he's a part of. I feel like all of those balls and things are... That's to avoid taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Dave, we know the villain, the real villain in Gotham City is capitalism. capitalism. (laughs) Five politically tense brother fight minutes later. No, we're (laughs) we're cutting out the last five minutes, you fucking kidding me? (laughs) All this is trash. Yeah. All this is garbage. We're going to cut back to me saying he was squirting off that fucking mausoleum. That's that's, that's it. That's ten fucking minutes ago. Yes, and you're right. So anyway, I think, yeah, you could probably just put a little dirt on him and uh, and just be done with it. (laughs) Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We're out of here. Exactly. To your point, though, uh, I take it back. He did do that Undertaker dirty because they're going to have to dig the thing out. Now they got to rent, like, a backhoe or whatever. Got to get him out. Then got to put him in a actual coffin, I guess. You can't just bury somebody in a suit in the ground unless they ask for that. Can you ask for that? I'm thinking he's not getting in a coffin. This dude was squished by a, like, three-ton marble statue. They put Peyton Westlake's ear in a coffin. <laughs> Peyton Westlake! That's fair. <laughs> I thought for sure they would just incinerate this thing. They could. Oh, I guess it's boy. all really dependent on his if he had a living will or, a, or he left a power of attorney. I don't think it's a living will. I think oh. it's just a regular ass well, okay. will. Okay, well, I guess point. he created it as a living will. But yeah, if if he had a will and where there's a will, regardless of who cleaned it up, Batman is taking the blame yet again. But he is on the case. He's tracking down those long chain molecules. He's finding some more at the cemetery. And while he's out searching the case, he sees. His girl, Beaumont, again, at the cemetery, and he hides behind the Wayne statue. She sees him, and immediately he's like, oh, it's fucking Bruce Wayne, obviously. He's so terrible at giving up his identity, but it's like every single movie he has to give up his identity to to the lady he's with. Yeah, and again, whereas fishy to see him by the Wayne family, also fishy to see her in the middle of the night in the same cemetery where we know a guy just got crushed by a statue. Kind of a smoking gun scenario, if you ask me. But I guess at that point, does Batman not know? He's he's there for Buzz, right? No? no oh, yeah, he's there for Buzz. Right. He's there for Buzz. Okay, so he does know. He's just, while I'm here, I might as well. Yeah, he's hunting that phantasm, but he doesn't know anything other than that. Right, and it's just some huge coincidence that that girl is there in the middle of the night. Speaking of the phantasm, the voice 
Wow, so great. All the Angel of Death stuff. Buzz Bronski, your angel of death awaits. That voice is Stacy Keach, who also does the voice of Carl Beaumont, which they did on purpose. Mm-hmm. To keep you off the stench if you haven't caught on yet. Similar builds. Stacy Keach, I believe, was also Christopher Titus's dad in Titus. Oh, wow. What a terrible show. What? That's just hilarious. What a terrible show. It was awful. So you have such bad takes, Dave. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> I, I don't like Titus's humor. I don't like that guy. Also, Escape from L.A. Yeah. He's the Lee Van Cleef role mm-hmm. in Escape from L.A. Isn't in Steve Buscemi is the... Uh, Cabbie. The Ernest Borgnine role, yeah. Yeah. I love that they just made the exact same movie. Just with a lot more surfing. I was happy. Stacy Keach all over Simpsons, too. I mean, who isn't? Yeah, he's a huge voice actor. I think we have here the old wheezing Don finding out that Buzz is gone and Chucky's gone. And they're obviously targeting his gang. And they keep saying it's the stinking bat. (laughs) Or no, the dude in the graveyard says it's the stinking bat. It's the stinking bat! Then you see a, a news article that says bats gone bats. Or has bats gone bats. Something like that. There's some good uh, newspaper headline work in this one. Is that more clever than just saying, has Batman gone batty? Or is it lazier? I can't, I haven't decided. It's more like 20s lingo. Bats is the nickname, you know? So that's, you know. I've never heard of anyone saying someone's gone bats. So if you have to like force the saying, is it clever? Has bats gone batty? That would be even better. I'm taking a, I'm taking, I'm taking a hard line. I'm taking a hard <laughs> stance here. Line in the sand. <laughs> No, I don't know. Maybe it is clever. I don't know. All right. Well, we get another flashback, much to Dave's chagrin. This time, we're doing a World's Fair kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Which I think is a lot of fun. The the Batmobile inspiration. He sees that sees that whip. A lot of drone stuff in this movie as well. Um, and that led me down the path. What, like, when did drones become, like, a real big thing? Like, did they have technology even close to that when this came out in 93? Like, those smaller drones? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, RC was a thing, so I mean... But were they that good? Oh, yeah. Modern drones. Dude, when, when I was a kid growing up this time, RC was like the Cadillac of toy. If you had like a good RC car and all that kind of shit. So yeah, it's, like, it was, it's definitely in the, the zeitgeist. And I mean, this is when they're developing drone technology because they started doing basically fighter jets as drones in the early 2000s. A quick Google says 1935 was the first modern drone developed. But did they? when did they become commercially available? 2006. Well, this is not a commercially available thing. This is like the World's Fair. No, but there's a ton of drones. I mean, yeah, I guess, I don't know. But they, like later on, the Joker's got mad drones. But like the House of Tomorrow was never actually built. Those aren't quite quadcopters. They're like a bicopter. They've got like a propeller and a helicopter. A lot of the stuff in the World's Fair exhibit, they don't call it the World's Fair, but it's based on things from the World's Fair. I believe 64, 67 maybe. One of those. The, one of the big Disney ones. It's called like the Gotham of Tomorrow. Yeah, something. Oh, that's pretty fun. Bruce meets Mr. Beaumont and then he heads outside. And he and Andrea witness a a little biker brawl, and Bruce uh, jumps in the middle. There's a great moment talking about these money shots. The only thing I I was thinking of when I saw them was these are like Akira moments where the like the the motion lines are really going. Oh yeah, like the jumping punch. Yeah, the jump punch on the guy on the bike, and then the guy's got the chain. Yeah. 
There's a couple of cool moments like that, even when the art style changes and they're like, all right, we put a lot of time into this. You got motion lines and like shading and all that. It's all very cool. They, they pop up a couple of times. But this is one of the coolest moments where Bruce jump punches a guy off a motorcycle. I can't tell if he gets distracted. Yeah. Just, I guess he gets distracted just by seeing that, like, should I be more worried about Andrea? I think that's what it is. He's in the zone. He's fighting bros. And then he happens to see out of the corner of his eye, Andrea standing there. And then that one moment is enough. Right. And that's where he almost finally realizes, like, I can't do both. Then he has, has not decided yet which of the one things he wants to do. This is when he goes to see his the cemetery scene, in, which is a really great moment. Yes. I don't want to step on that scene. But prior to that, just for more clues about who the phantasm might be, you see the councilman, Arthur Reeves, is with Andrea in the now time. And uh, he's saying, well, you know, maybe one of these times we can we can be alone. And then Andrea says, yeah, yeah who knows what the future might bring? And it was kind of coy. And I'm like, well, if you don't know, now you know. Right. Dave. <laughs> he does go to the headstone and he's asking his parents. It doesn't mean I don't care anymore. I don't want to let you down, honest, but it just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? Look, I can give money to the city. They can hire more cops. Let someone else take the risk. But it's different now. Please. I need it to be different now. He has a really great line where he's, you know, going through all this and he says, I know I made a promise, but I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Please. Tell me that it's okay. And then Andrea shows up behind him. Maybe they already have. Maybe they sent me. So he's thinking about giving up his promise and, yeah, coming to ask his parents' absolution for that. And he made the promise as a broken man. He didn't think that there was a possibility to become unbroken or fixed. And, you know, really, I'm sure he didn't think that he would... I think unbroken in this situation. He would have... But then he gets rebroken. Someone who could really understand what he was going through in that moment as well. So it's kismet. That goes well. They, they leave together. And this is when we find out that Reeves is in fact in cahoots with all the bad boys. I believe we're back in the future at this point. Yeah. And the Don, I think it's Velestri, something along those lines. He's meeting up at this World Fair or Gotham of the Future area, which is like dilapidated now and kind of a really cool set piece. And uh, he's meeting up with dun, 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 the Joker. So it's actually like pretty far into the movie. I want to say the Don's like like oxygen mask looks super cool. The actual animation. Maybe that's the mask of the Phantasm. Maybe he's the Phantasm. Maybe. <laughs> but his because they never call any of them the Phantasm. His oxygen mask, it, it, like, has, like, extra wires and stuff. It's a really, like, trippy-looking thing. I really liked it. It's like they've never seen an oxygen mask. Yeah. And they, they just drew what they thought one might look like, and it was great. It did have a, an interesting look to it. So it's that Gotham Art Deco kind of stuff. We also see in a flashback that Reeves had been working with the, the bad guys for a long time. Bruce and Alfred have kind of, like, a tiff over his Batmaning. And in this flashback, this is where we also see Batman proposes to Andrea. But within that kind of same day, she says yes, but then sends the ring back. And that's when Batman finally is like, you know what? That's fucking it. I'm doing Batman stuff now. Easily avoidable if she had just asked Bruce Wayne for some money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would have called him the billionaire that you fucking know. 
Yeah, or just like sell that big rock you just got and just apologize. Be like, hey, man, big stuff was happening, but uh, you can get me a smaller ring now if you want. <laughs> yeah, but she runs off and we find out later why and all that, that, that she was, in fact, her dad owed these guys money. He was embezzling mob money and they they were coming to collect and he didn't have it. But this is also the point where we out of all of the big moments in the in this film for me, the cemetery scene was a big one. When Joker appears later is a big one. And this here when Batman finally figures out the costume and puts it on and turns around and Alfred sees him and he like gets scared. Yeah, he gasps because he has seen that the boy that he essentially raised become this embodiment of vengeance. Mm-hmm. The doofus got dark. Yeah. <laughs> that should have been the name of this movie. So then Sal goes to see the Joker, and the Joker says that. Uh, what he, he says, tell me what's on your so-called mind. <laughs> Which I think is a really great line. <laughs> oh, man. Mark Hamill here is really... This is a Joker that's firing on all fucking cylinders. Yeah. He's got jokes. And for days. His entrance is really great. Sal walks up and like there's all these like robots start singing a song which seemingly have been turned on by the Joker and then he comes out and like blasts all the heads off of them. I was like, what the this guy? Pure chaos. Mm-hmm. He was waiting for just this occasion to blow the heads off of those robots. Because he's obviously been living in this place for a very long time because he's done some his own modifications to a few things there. Sam, I remember you had you had said that you did not know uh, the Joker was. Well, it's not didn't know. It's that I, f- I forgot. And then he showed up because he shows up so late in this movie. It's like halfway through that. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Joker movie. The second that there was like the, a very long nosed laughing gangster at one point is another one of these kind of money shots where he flicks his cigarette at Bruce after he drops him off after they're being engaged. Oh, in that moment, he, she was like, well, hey, we can't tell Dad yet that we're engaged because all his weird work friends are over. And there's like a, a pointy-nosed laughing gangster. I was like, oh, man, is that, the, is that this guy? And yeah, turns out it's that guy. They strategically did not ever give him a name. No one ever like spoke with him. He was kind of like... Just a creepo. The trigger man. Yeah, which I thought was great. Why would Sal trust the Joker? He's been the Joker long enough now. We're in the present time. Why would anybody trust the Joker for help? Or was this sort of like a last ditch? Well, because he has a history with him. Yeah, but the Joker's crazy. They worked together before he became the Joker. I think both of those reasons are correct, that it was last ditch. They did work together. He thought maybe $5 million would placate the Joker, but... Yeah, he need the Joker to go after Batman. You know, he's not going to be able to do it himself. He needs some someone who's insane. So he tries to give him all this money for it, and he says, No way is anybody going to hurt my pal Sal. That's it. That's what I want to see. A nice big smile. And then, <laughs> not smash cut, but pretty close to a smash cut, and uh, Sal's dead. <laughs> and not only is Sal dead, but Sal is dead and a trap for Batman, so he thinks, but turns out to be... Uh, the phantasm that he sees through, I guess, a little webcam that he left on the corpse of Sal. So he says, Guess the joke is on me. You're not Batman after all. Looks like there's a new face in Gotham. And soon his name will be all over town. To say nothing of his legs, feet, 
And then the place blows up, but the phantasm was able to escape last second. This explosion was one of these great shots. It looked really impressive. Although it was slightly undercut, there's this huge explosion. The phantasm jumps out the window, and then you see them using their hook hand to climb a ladder. <laughs> really kind of undercut the badass nature for me. What I do like, and I don't mind taking this out of sequence, is there's like a there's kind of a tit for tat here where that was a trap for Batman that the Phantasm had to escape. And then not long after that, there's a trap set for the Phantasm that Batman has to escape. So it's just kind of like a case of mistaken, but in both cases where he even thinks that he killed, the Joker thinks that he killed the Phantasm in the second one. But really it was Batman and Batman also got away. Yeah, it's some fun parallel where Batman chases the Phantasm from an aircraft, then lands to fight. Phantasm gets away, and then the police chase Batman from an aircraft. Mm-hmm. There's a moment Batman, he, he lands, he, like, sets the Batwing to go on, like, autopilot, and, like, it, like, lands himself, itself. The cops see the helicopter shines a spotlight on Batman. He looks back to the Batwing, and there's just a bunch of SWAT guys standing on the Batwing, like, punching it and hitting it with their guns. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But right after that, the the helicopter that, that has Batman in their sights, Batman makes as if he's shooting his grappling hook to pull himself to the helicopter. But <laughs> whoopsie doops, I did a quick switcheroo with a sawhorse, and the sawhorse is now wearing the cape and cowl. And it fits that sawhorse like a glove. It was so good. <laughs> that is a good fit. That's that ninja training. That's that ninja Naruto block of wood training, man. That sawhorse switcheroo. <laughs> the cop in that helicopter is a stone cold killer because he pulls out his like revolver and can shoot that thing faster than a fucking machine gun. <laughs> he shoots it so fast. If you're pulling clips, put it in because it goes. <laughs> it sounds like a fucking machine yeah, gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Burt, burt. It was making me laugh very hard. Batman manages to get away. He's all he's all jacked up. They Bullock shows up. Bullock shows up a couple of times. So sweaty. Um, which is which was great for me. <laughs> They really had the budget on this one to show how sweaty this man is <laughs> and worth every penny. He's great. Some SWAT guy blows up the building and Bullock calls him a jerk. What are you doing, you jerk? <laughs> great. Batman is running. He's lost his mask because he did his sawhorse trick. And he turns down an alley. A car pulls up. Who is it? It's Andrea. He hops in uh, and they drive off. And you know what I love about this this movie particularly? She knows he's Batman right from the start. It honestly never comes up. Mm-mm. Yeah. That is not even a thing for her. She gives zero shits about that. She's a way more demented version of what he's got going on. So I guess like she gets it. But the fact that they never address it, I think is amazing. And they have a nice little scene ended by Batman finding out that the Joker's involved by finding a picture of Andrea's dad with the Joker right next to him. And he finds out it's the Joker by putting a little lipstick on his mouth. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. And if you're Batman, is that something you do? I knew, I know that pretty mouth anywhere. <laughs> I wonder if like he gets newspapers and there's pictures of guys and he's like, well, let me see. Is this is the, Joker? the Joker? And he puts a little lipstick on nope. it. Like, nope, that one's not the Joker. 
But finally, he does find the Joker. Yeah. Andrea also leads Batman to believe that her dad is actually the Phantasm. When he approaches her with this picture, she's like, ah. But she never says it. She lets him say it. And then she goes, ah. So, you know. Yeah. And this is where it happens that Batman is in Andrea's apartment or wherever she's staying and gets a phone call from the Joker that says, you know, hey, I'm going to blow you up. He's saying toots and all this other stuff. These other hints that the Joker knows that it's Andrea, not Carl. Because you get the flashback. The Joker killed Carl Beaumont. He knows Carl Beaumont's nowhere to be found. So who else would be doing this? There you have it. Stone Cold scene there. That was a great little moment where Joker, because he's like waiting for her to get home. And then once she gets there, then he leaves, which I thought was really, really good. I really really, um, like that moment. But yeah, the Phantasm shows up at Joker's place at the World's Fair. And Joker gets the upper hand, but... Batman comes in with the save. I was kind of bummed out that the actual Phantasm character and Joker didn't fight longer because kind of immediately she does some smoke tricks. He does this flower trick. She takes off the you know executioner big thing, and that's just kind of it. Then, but then, then, then it's a Batman Joker fight basically. And there's some great Joker stuff there because the Joker's like hiding himself from Batman by wearing like a skyscraper helmet <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah. Like sidestepping, like just like basically hiding in a bush. He uses baloney as a weapon. Oh my God. When he hits her, when he hits Andrea with that baloney, oh my God. Baloney smack. Bam. Cause it looks like he's reaching. It's, he's like reaching for a knife, but instead <laughs> grabs the big, big tube of baloney. And guys, how about Hazel? Huh? What? Oh, she's still a show. She's a great character. <laughs> Even when she turned evil, I still liked her a lot. Batman and Joker eventually end up fighting in a miniaturized version of a future Gotham City. It's one of my favorite fight scenes in any movie, really, with all those like model buildings and the scale of everything was so cool. There's a quick WB building in their scale. You can see the logo on the building. Well, yeah, this this fight seems really effective because, like you said, Sam, he's got drones all day, and they managed to make these toy planes seem scary because, like, Batman's getting cut, and you're like, oh, shit, like, yeah, that would hurt. That would be bad for you. This whole fight scene was great. I wish Phantasm was in it a little bit more, but... Yeah, I agree with you there. But it was really good. After the mini city fight, Joker gets beat up, but he lets Batman know that he's got a bunch of bombs all over the city. They have a little jetpack race. They crash land, and there you go. Andrea is there, and it's even though the place is exploding around her, she's determined to see this ding-dang thing through, and in a final moment, turns her back on Bruce and smokes up and disappears. I wrote that explosions don't hurt people in these cartoons at all. They only damage property, which I'm for. <laughs> yeah, if, if we could figure out that technology, I would love that. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And I don't think enough movies end in new wave and in instrumental jazz. The ending song is well, perfect. Uh, yeah, it's just a weird slow jam. And sung by Tia Carrere, who's Cassandra in the Wayne's World movies. Swing! Swing! Tentpole! She's a babe. She's magically babelicious. She tested very high on the stroke ability scale. Yeah, it's so good. At the very end, though, before we completely get to the credits, mm-hmm. 
we see that Andrea is still alive and she's kind of staring off into the distance and a guy tries to to flirt with her and he's like quite a sight yes I'm sorry do do you want to be alone I am so that was pretty cool line and then you see Batman and they show the bat signal and he's hopping too and I missed where they were sure enough that it wasn't the Batman who killed all these people to be putting the bat signal back up. Did they say that? Yeah, well, they were trying to lure Batman to it. Reeves got laughing gassed. Right, in the first place they were trying to lure him to it, but at the very end they put it on, and then he he's headed towards it. Oh, well, I thought at the very end he just fi- he finds the locket, and I thought that was how we, we left him. He finds a locket that Andrea had of the two of them together. He finds a locket, but then at the at the very, very end, there's a bat signal. And he's heading towards it, and then they roll credits. I thought it was him driving away from it. I thought he was driving away from it, too, now that you bring it up. Well, now I don't know. I knew. I'll tell you in one second. Oh, yeah, there it is. There's the bat signal, and he sees it. Oh, man, great shading in this. But he's, it seems like he's going towards it, right? So he's like, yep, this is the thing I do. But they, he's still a wanted man. I don't remember a time where they go, well, it wasn't Batman. I don't remember him being uh, being like, oh, well, we found out with beyond the shadow of a doubt that this couldn't have been Batman. He was here when this happened, but that never happens. And he just heads towards the thing. So for all we know, Batman's just going to get incarcerated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Batman's always kind of been an, an illegal character, you know? Yeah, but even way more recently, the people who put the signal up... Yeah, we're trying to get him. He doesn't pay taxes. Who's to say Batman doesn't pay taxes? And why do we keep talking about this? I was just kidding. (laughs) Does Batman pay taxes? (laughs) Are you Googling it? Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. I guarantee he is. Saying they're taxed the highest personal income. You guarantee guarantee Batman pays taxes. That's a a bold stance. (laughs) He's not a villain. He's taxed at the highest personal income tax bracket, 37%. This person says Bruce Wayne definitely does. As long as that person says it. This person says 90% taxes on income and capital gains, over 10 million. This person says Bruce Wayne is a tax cheat. For Bruce Wayne, the fiction boy. This is what we're here to determine. (laughs) <laughs> or else why are we here chimichanga so yes he finds the locket and then we see andrea on the boat fleeing i guess she's going back to the mediterranean where she said she's from and then batman seems yeah resigned to his life of batmanning and then we're back in like season six of the series there we go that's it speaking of different versions let's hit into the comic Convergence. So what I already said is what I have to say, that this movie draws a lot from Batman Year One and Batman Year Two. Batman Year One was written by Frank Miller and illustrated by David Mazzuchelli. Batman Year Two is written by Mike W. Barr and illustrated by Alan Davis. So in Batman Year One... Reed had already mentioned that we see Batman donning his ski mask and uh, ball peen hammer. Yeah, ball peen hammer, his basic gear to do in a, a bunch of thugs. And in Batman Year Two, we get the Reaper character that the Phantasm look was heavily based on, and a lot of like kind of an Azrael 
spin on that. And Asriel is in Nightfall. And if you haven't read those, they're like the pinnacle of 1990s comics. And they're incredible. <laughs> they're absolutely insane. But definitely worth the read. It's after Bane breaks Batman's back and Asriel takes over as Batman. And he's out of his mind. Like literally out of his mind. He's like, he hears voices and things and he modifies the bat suit to have these gigantic claws. It's extra spooky stuff. Definitely worth checking out if you're a big comic fan. It's so 90s. The art, everything, it's like really violent without showing anything. It's pouches everywhere. Yeah, so it's super 90s. But yeah, definitely <laughs> worth checking out. That's all I have for comic stuff. Yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up. I mean, these are great writers. They're great at telling Batman stories. Paul Dini and Alan Burnett. Like we were saying, these guys were in the zone, as it were. And this kind of came at a perfect time. The script was apparently really easy to write. Alan Burnett split it up amongst the different writers and things and then rewrote their sections. One thing he didn't touch was the cemetery scene. Apparently... The way that it was like submitted to him, he just put it directly into the movie because it was so good. <laughs> Judson Caspian, I believe, was the first Reaper, and then his daughter takes up the mantle. And that's everything else, I think, in that convergence. So let's talk about the critical reception and box office for this one. Now, the critical reception, initially, there absolutely was none because Warner Brothers blew it with promoting this film. Rumor has it that it was up against a lot of Disney stuff, and this is when the resurgence was kind of happening. I believe this is the Lion King year. I think they thought it wouldn't be worth it to put money into promoting this. This is the Nightmare Before Christmas year. A Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, there you go. I heard that movie theaters didn't play it a lot. It was only shown in matinees because they just assumed it was a kid's story. Siskel and Ebert missed it in the theater, and this is also the same year... Batman Returns was released earlier this year, but uh, Siskel and Ebert did a video segment when it hit VHS and apologized for not reviewing the movie at the time because they really liked it. And Siskel said that he actually liked Mask of the Phantasm more than Batman Returns. Wow. This also came out right around the time Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 came out, which would have definitely put a hamper on. I actually kind of meant to mention this in the comic conversion, but just like Dick Tracy, they had a Phantasm toy that spoiled the identity of the Phantasm. Ah. It came with the mask off in the packaging, I believe. And actually, I wrote this down and didn't mention earlier, but it's the novelization that says Robin was away at college. We knew you'd have the novelization knowledge, Sam. I can't believe we haven't done the parody porner for this, or does that happen in the mini? Well, we did bask in the orgasm in the, the mini last week. That's true. <laughs> mask of the orgasm. It was, we did a bunch of different oh, names for it. Boy. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I prefer Bask. Making sure. Yeah, it, it takes Batman out of it completely. Where it can very literally have nothing to do with with anything Batman related. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, the Phantasm did give me some orgasmo vibes with the, that that like hand thing. I, I'm sure there's... That one was the blade, but if she's anything like Batman, she's she's all about utility. Audiences agree with the critics on this one. The Tomatometer's got an 84% audience score and 88 on the critic score. Box office, extremely bad. Big, big, very bad. But with little to no marketing leading up to this, it still did kind of okay. The budget I'm seeing was about 6 mil, which is what they bumped it up for a theatrical release. 
It made 5.6 worldwide and had an opening weekend of 1.2 million. I'm guessing that this one was a real earner on VHS. And I'm guessing most that's how most people saw this. That's how I saw it for sure. They did have one of those things. Every now and again, they'd have like a cartoon special and they'd show it at like 8 p.m. on like a Saturday during like rerun times. Oh, yeah. You get this one. You'd get Return of the Joker Batman Beyond movie. Oh, that movie's so good. I'm looking forward to getting to that one. Hopefully we do that one. Is that on the list? That's probably not on our list right now, but it can be. It can be. It was a big deal the first time they put this on network TV, but I remember I was on vacation at the time and I asked my grandma, I was like, could you please record this one? But she couldn't figure out the VCR. So that was it. That was it. But I've seen it now. My childhood is almost complete. Couple more boxes to check off, but we're we're almost there, baby. So that is them's the stats. That's the stats portion of the show. It's time to move on to our penultimate segment. It's your favorite one, where we talk about our favorite ones. And our least favorite ones. It's who's your hero? Who's your villain? I'll go first with a hero. And my hero is Hazel. Because no matter how much meat she has to cut, she always has a smile on her face. She's a treasure. Sure, she was modified for murder, but that's not her fault. No. Yeah, she was just doing what she was programmed to do. She was the best. She didn't program herself for murder. Absolute. Baby, she was born that way. That's it. My hero is Commissioner Gordon. He speaks up literally to anybody. He doesn't give a shit about the politics of it all. He's like, Batman didn't kill somebody. That's garbage. I really liked him in this movie. He wasn't in it enough, if you ask me. I agree with you. He got like three lines. He said, Batman did not do this. And that's it. Bummer, because you love some Jim. I'm going to go with Alfred is my hero. That sassy fool. We had the sassy dark-haired version and the sassy gray-haired version. You always love an Alfred. He did great. For villain, I think I'm going to pick villain, but it's like a villain I hate at this time. And it's that Arthur Reeves. He sold out Beaumont. And not only that, because I get, because like Beaumont dipped and he had to like swim with the sharks because he was in cahoots with all those gang bosses, which is fine. But then he called Beaumont and asked him for campaign money. And he said no. And then he sent the... freaking joker after him yeah messed up real bastard and then he had the nerve to try to woo his daughter gross yeah no he's all around gross 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 he's a villain i was gonna say because my hero is gordon my villain is the rest of the police they are ready to kill (laughs) with sniper aim instantly they are not good cops batman did give chase he was very resistant these cops shot as many bullets as the dick tracy guys yeah that's true That's all I have to say. A lot of collateral damage these cops caused. Yeah, and they didn't give a shit about the construction work that was going on. They blew that place up. They are bad cops. They're not good. Replace them. I got a two-parter kind of villain. I I feel like I have to say Batman because he was such a doofus and unable to make life work for himself. I feel like it doesn't make him villainous necessarily, but whenever I see a movie and I I think there's like 10 other ways you could have done that one, bud. And that's kind of frustrating for me. But more villainous probably is Buzz Bronski, who takes the opportunity to go visit his dead friend and call him a loser. (laughs) Yeah, I bet I bet on the cutting room floor is him pissing on the grave. 
You just come to my graveside and call me a loser. That's pretty good, though. That's a sick bird. Completely unnecessary. You lost everything until you lost your life. Is that like old grandmas going to all their old friends' funerals? Out of spite. I outlived you, sucker. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the best. I've, I've heard tales. I must have saw this on the internet. But there was an old lady who she would go to like her friends' funerals. And she had her high school yearbook, and she would cross out people's names. <laughs> and she would cross out their faces. Oh That's, that is grim. Holy shit. That is grim. Put a big X on them. Yeah, no, it's messed up. I love it. All people are wild, man. I, I, I got to tell you. All right. Well, that is that. Would you guys suggest to uh, our nerdies who may not have watched the film to watch this movie? I would say watch this, watch the animated series. It's all, I mean, if you like Batman and you're not opposed to animation, then this should definitely be right in your wheelhouse. And the animated series stuff holds up so well. I would say anyone should be checking those out. Even newer Batman animated movies, I even find to be preferable a lot of times to the live actions. I completely agree with you, Sam. I think almost all the Batman movies are better drawn than they are acted. I think the Killing Joke. Killing Joke is great, although could have done without what was, wasn't was in the comics, which is like the first half hour where he bangs Batgirl. Fair enough. It's just like, why? Yeah, that could have not been in there. Batman? Yeah, Batman <laughs> does it to Batgirl on a rooftop, I want to say. That could have not been in there. It's nonsense. It's the whole first half hour is like this. It's forever long. It's like a nonsense, like romantic comedy. Holy tonal shifts, Batman. But the rest of the movie is so good. But the rest of the movie is the comic. That's not great. I don't love that. No, it's, it's not a good look. It has nothing to do with Alan Moore's comic. Even if they ever implied that they had a thing going, like, why are we... They wanted to pad out the movie is what they did. And they had to because the comic isn't very long. And they did everything that the comic had. Plus. Trying to, trying to give it more stakes for Batman, but I feel like Batman should always feel bad anytime someone is beaten into paralysis with a fucking crowbar. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone one of his best friend's daughters. Who he literally met as a child. I don't know. Seems weird. The rest of the movie is good. You could skip 30 minutes. Yeah, start half hour in. You'd be fine. Just read that book. You've got it. If you're listening to this, I'm guessing you've probably got a, a version of the killing joke sitting around in your house somewhere. We've talked about it 150 times too, so Okay, Dave, yeah. Um I, I think it, you you agree also. Definitely check this one out, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. If you haven't seen it, you are doing yourself a disservice. Go and watch this movie. Yeah, I loved it. This is my first watch and I don't think it'll be the last. It's a lot of fun. Nice and short too. It's a good afternoon watch. This might be a this might be a, a a hangover movie for me. Like a nice, easy, kind of comforting movie. The score, honestly, I I'm gonna look into that tomorrow because that was a lot of fun as well. It's around the board, guys. This is this one's a hit. So absolutely check this one out. Alright, so the next movie we will be watching is Meteor Man. I'm excited to check that. We'll have to get some info going on the the next mini episode because I don't know anything about this one. But be sure to check that out. My challenge to you, Sam, is don't use cute. No, that was absolutely that's absolutely what I'm going to use. So we have to cut this out. (laughs) 
I'll, I'll, I'll beep it out so you can you can use it, Sam. Don't worry. Uh, so it was like I decided that before the list was up. <laughs> he knew that in his bones. Hey, I don't need to know anything about what this movie's about. If there's not a then I guess I'm thrown for a loop, but I have to assume that there is. <laughs> I, I'll do you that. I'll do you that. If there's no in this movie, I will not do cute. Oh, there's so, so many, many beefs. beefs. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Thank you out there so much for listening. Please head on over to nerdaplexy.com and check out all there is to see there. You can, while you're there, push a couple of buttons. That's all it is. A little couple of button presses to give us five buckaroonies a month. And if you do that thing, then we will do an episode of your choosing. You pick a movie, we'll watch that movie. You know, within reason. Just a couple of Western Union wire transfers is all we ask. <laughs> that's, that's all it'll take. A little, a couple of cryptocurrency transfers. And then you'll see your family again. <laughs> and you'll be on your way to a Nerdaplexy experience. We're sure you won't forget. Thank you very much to the cast and crew of A Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, it was a pleasure from start to finish. Um, make sure to check this one out. Let us know what you think. And what was the first time you saw Mask of the Phantasm? Let us know at nerdplexy at gmail.com and you can also reach us at nerdplexypod on twitter dave where can our friends uh, reach out and contact you you can hit me up at the face of dave on twitter sam is at pgh underscore svh i am at pgh underscore read uh reach out and say hello I'm, we're still accepting applications for your uh, Little Nemo radio drama spec scripts. So uh, be sure to send those over and we'll check those out on the next mini episode. Thank you so much for listening. And before we uh, part ways, I'd like to leave you with this thought to ponder. Who do you think gets reminded of the dead parents more? Bruce Wayne or Harry Potter?
Okay, that's all the time we have for this week. Until then, good night. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth.